Hello, and welcome to the Empowerography Podcast. This is a platform created for women's voices to be heard and a place to share their stories, journeys, and successes with the world for the purpose of helping other women who might be on similar journeys. We are empowering women one episode at a time. I'm your host, Brad Walsh, so kick back, grab one of your favorite beverages, and enjoy the stories. If you're looking for jewelry that makes an impact on your self-care routine and your style, Empowerography would love to offer you a discount code to one of our exclusive partners, Quartz and Canary Jewelry and Wellness Company. Please use code EMPOWER15 to receive 15% off upon checkout at www.quartzandcanary.com. Quartz and Canary is truly the place where spirituality meets style. Hello there, Brad Walsh here, your host of the Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest is Nisha Dennison. She is a licensed psychotherapist, an artist, an energy healer, and a meditation teacher. Welcome, Nisha. How are you today? I'm good, Brad. I'm really super excited to be here with you. So yeah, I'm very good. Excellent. I'm so happy to hear that. And I am honored to have you here with me and share in your journey and your story. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here with me today and making the time to be here with me today to share a little bit about your story and your journey. I can't wait to jump in. So as I mentioned, you are a licensed psychotherapist, an artist, an energy healer, and a meditation teacher. The psychotherapy career would be a very demanding job and career, I'd imagine. Now you add in all of these other things you're doing, how in the hell do you prioritize and how important is prioritization and organization to you? I mean, it's one of the first things that you learn when you train to be a therapist is sort of like prioritizing as a self-care. You know, it's so important because if you're going to be focusing on your clients when you should be relaxing, that's a problem. And so putting things in their correct box is, is super important. I really am a fan of structure and I always sort of help my clients with structure as well because it, it soothes the psyche, you know prioritizing and having a structure is going to calm down the stress. So for me, I put things in boxes. I used to see clients on top of a a day job ad hoc. I don't do that now. I'm too old. (laughs) You know, know, I've got to make my life easy. So, you know, I, I see... I have a day job, four days a week. I won't do a five-day week job anymore. That that fifth day, I see my private clients. So it's all I'm doing. I'm in that headspace that day. I don't have to change hats. And right. then my art and anything else, energy work is at the weekends. You know, I literally put things in boxes and that works for me. It might be time of life, but, you know, when I was younger, I could do all sorts of things, put different hat on at different times. But right now, it's it's really categorized in that way. That's how I do it. Beautiful. So I'm curious then with all of these things that you do, do you have a morning routine in place for yourself? I get up very, very early and I kind of, this is a bit of a kind of spiritual practice for me. I don't know if you notice this, that when you lie in your mind starts chattering and you start worrying about things or that it's really that internal dialogue that kicks in when you half asleep, you haven't got up yet. And it's just a waste of energy. So as soon as I wake up and it can be five thirty, five, six, whatever, quite early for me, I get up and I start my day early. I always start my day early because I feel like I'm ahead of the game. I can get so much done before I actually start the day job at nine, you know, and that's satisfying to me where it's catching up on the stuff I love, doing the creative stuff. You know, for me, I cultivate the stuff that I love. 
around the stuff that I have to do. And so my morning routine is really it's the usual coffee. I'm sure everyone has lived <laughs> without coffee, Brad. I have um, coffee and then a second decaf. That's it. If I have coffee any later, I'm up all night. Again, getting old. <laughs> but for me, it's getting up early when the energy is good. I feel like there's good energy early morning, like chi, you know, good chi yeah. energy. And so I'm up early and I just, it's indulgence for me. Get all these things that I love to do done before I start the day job. Beautiful. Now, mm. how long have you been a licensed psychotherapist for? Oh, too long. 24 years. So I, I finished training, I think it was about 98, something mm. like that. I finished my training and I started working as a therapist. So it's it's been a long time and a big learning curve. And, and you just, you know, you just ripen with age as a therapist very much. And so what motivated and inspired you to get into psychotherapy and pursue a career in this field? I mean, I never chose it. I never chose it at all. And it's, it's a weird one. I mean, I was working as a manager in a gallery and I was overseeing it's sort of like a, a sort of pool of staff. Okay. And, you know, they would start coming to me with their problems. And um, and I, I didn't know why, but they just found it easy to talk. And I don't know, I felt something was going on in that dynamic. Coincidences happened where someone was working in a therapy organization. I thought, oh, maybe I'll give this a go. And I signed up to do a one-year certificate course in counseling and I really thought, because I was artsy, you know, and I wasn't an academic person. I thought, oh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this. I'm not academic. I'll try right. it. And then I found out it was just all about people. It was all about relationship, people, connection. And I thought, oh, God, I can do this. This is something I can do, actually. It's just me using me as the tool, you know? Right. Of course, the academic essays and all of that nightmare had to get myself through that. <laughs> yeah. Horrible. It was horrific. But I just never looked back. I didn't think about the fees. I didn't think about the journey ahead. It was four years of training without any thought. So, yeah, yeah it just I just followed that path, really, and never chose to. Never it's, chose to. It's funny you say that because I've talked to quite a few women that work in this field, and it seems a common thread that women say that, that they didn't choose it. it basically, it chose them. Yeah. I mean, I, I would always be curious about people. I've always been curious. And, you know, even like in the bookshop I worked in, I noticed that someone, you know, we were stacking shelves and this woman was singing. And I'd, I'd be like, why is she singing? Singing. I'd right. ask these bizarre questions and I'd be, is it she's is she trying to soothe herself? Is it a distraction? Or is she just into music? I could never really understand. So I always asked myself these weird questions. That was kind of unique. <laughs> you know, I don't know if many people that did. Is she is she genuinely happy? Is yes. she, she like the sound of her own voice? What? Yeah. Serious. <laughs> It's like I didn't understand anything. And I'd be like, why are people doing this? Why do they say that? (laughs) (laughs) A genuine curiosity. I love it. Yeah. You had mentioned when we started about prioritizing and putting things into boxes. So I'm curious, when you are doing your psychotherapy work, do you find it hard not to bring your work home with you? And how do you deal with that? So you do your best not to do just that? Because I've heard some people say that they kind of silo everything. They silo the work from their personal life so they don't bleed into one another. So I'm curious, what are your thoughts on this and how do you deal with this? Yeah, again, this this goes back to training. When you're training and you're seeing clients, usually in an agency, not in private 
private practice yet. You see them in an agency to start off with, and you're learning on on job, if you like. When you whilst you're training, you see clients, and all the students would sort of have that issue. Oh, I had a terrible issue client with serious issues. And got home and I found myself thinking about it. Couldn't This is the sort of thing you start to become aware of it. First of all, you catch okay. it. And that's your first way of separating it out. And you, if you are thinking too much, you take it to supervision. So you then let it out of your system, get it out of your body, talk about it with a supervisor. So you're releasing it. So there are different ways. If you're working from home, having a separate space so that you leave that room, and now your evening is yours or whatever. There right. are sorts, lots of different things, but it develops with time. Eventually, you can just switch off. You could switch on in the moment, be completely there with the client. And then when you're finished, you can switch off. I mean, I, I, I do it probably too easily. You know, I'm, I'm like, <laughs> I do my intense work and then I'm overjoyed to be free doing what I also want to do separately. Because, you know, I'm, I find that quite easy now, but I... Yeah. I can understand that there's lots of stages that, that people go through and I probably would have gone through myself, you know. Did you on. struggle with that a fair bit when you're first starting out in your career? No, not really, because I okay. made use of the sort of tools of supervision to go talk right. about it, to leave it there. I don't remember struggling with it as my students have done. So yeah, pretty okay with letting it go. As a psychotherapist, do you incorporate any of your other training or modalities into your work? And if so, can you share a little bit about how you do that? Like the energy work or the meditation work or the art? There's this really interesting concept in therapy called parallel process. And, you know, you can be working with a client who's not at all spiritual, and I'm spiritual alongside that. And then they start to talk about these spiritual experiences. So I never bring it in and I never put it on the agenda. But if a client starts to bring it in, like these kind of synchronistic experiences suddenly occurring, I will look at that with them and work with that and, and go into that with them. Isn't that interesting that that's coming to you now? And, you know, and I use a bit of psychoeducation sometimes, you know, around the concepts of archetypes coming to us at certain times, you know, when we need help or need, you know, to give us a message if we're open and receptive to it. But if it comes into the work naturally, spirituality or spiritual ideas, I will go with it. I'm open to okay. it. And, you know, an art as well. If someone's really wanting to be creative, I would go with that too and give them all sorts of ideas on how they can release through art, you know. Okay. So, yeah, yeah, but never forced. Right. Never okay. forced. You, you never bring it up. It's just you flow with it. And if it comes up, then you start to incorporate it or look yeah, at it at least. Yeah, okay. Definitely. What would you say is it that sets you and the work you do apart from other therapists? Like, why would they choose to work with you over someone else? I mean, I think um, I get to the heart of things really, really quickly. I think this is this sort of, you know, I've been brought up into an atmosphere and lots of people have this as well, where if you've had quite a sort of volatile upbringing, you kind of become a sensitive person. You become this person who picks things up quickly, picks up the nonverbal, picks up the cues. You have a sense of a, a different change in feeling, a different air in the room. And I think I'm quite good at getting to the heart of that with clients pretty quickly, reading them well and getting to the core of their issues quite quickly. And at the same time, obviously being sensitive to whether they can take that or not. Is it too soon? Are they able to hear that? Are they ready to hear that? And so I'm quite good at this. I mean, I hate to say the word interpersonal, but I can't think of another description, you know, that kind of yeah. interpersonal relating. 
can't think of anything else, but getting to the nitty gritty, getting to the heart of it in a way that's empathic, but also taking them to the next level, because I don't believe in messing around and wasting time navel gazing. You know, <laughs> yeah. I'm, you know I'm not that kind of therapist. Yeah. I want people to get results. I want people to feel the results. And uh, yeah. And so I am quite, I wouldn't say fast, but I want to, I want to take them there um, when they're ready and, you know, as soon as they're ready. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. The great relatability factor, the great rel- relatability skill set. Yeah, I think so. And this is so organic with me. I mean, again, going back to that childlike curiosity, I'm always very, very curious. I never have the answers. I never think I know anything. Almost go into therapy like an idiot. <laughs> I do. And I say to my therapist. I love your honesty. <laughs> <laughs> no, I do. And I said to my therapy student, my MA, university therapy student, said, oh, what is the best way to be a therapist? And I said, just cultivate being an idiot. <laughs> go into your sessions. And keep that curiosity as if you don't know, because if you start to get cocky and start to think you know things, you're going to start to make get the wrong you know, angle. You're going to make yeah, mistakes. You're going to get it wrong. For sure. Mm. I love it. <laughs> what, in your opinion, is one of or the most important quality or skill set in a psychotherapist? I think being a human being, you know, without this kind of frontal facade, you are a human being with another human being and that's it. You're not any better than them. You might know more things to help them along, but you aren't any better. I can't stand these therapists who kind of act as therapists, Brad. Have you met therapists that act as therapists? I can't bear it. It's like in my profession, we have to go to these CPD events, you know, continuous professional development and I'm like, oh, no, I'm going to have to mingle with other therapists. <laughs> Bloody hell. You know. The pain <laughs> of your existence. <laughs> yes. I'd rather do CPD on something completely unrelated, in which I do try to get away with, by the way. But, you know, I went to this event. I thought, oh, I'll go to this one. Then it's about relationship. Well, all right. And it was just full of stuffy, boring therapists who were just like, I, I, where's the human? Where's yeah. the human being? You know. Yeah. And so I do, yeah, that's the most important quality to okay. to be the human being. What is your greatest strength as a psychotherapist? I would say a couple of things. I'd say I was trying to describe how I worked the other day. And I guess compassion is important, but I don't like this kind of compassion there, there. I feel for you. Oh, poor you. For me, it's a kind of proactive compassion. I totally get that pain. And yes, and let's do something about this. It's almost like being the spine for someone, you know, proactive compassion. You're there, you're empathizing, but you're not doing it in a way that diminishes them or makes them feel incapable or disempowered or a victim. You know what I mean? And I think also reading people, going back to what I said before, I think I'm very good at reading people and gauging when to go in deep deep dive into something and when to lay down and wait for the right moment you know sounding out the right moment for someone's growth is super important if you go in too soon they become defensive you go in too late you're wasting valuable time so I kind of think that's it for me this sort of proactive compassion and the ability to read people well what lights you up or inspires you the most about the work that you do yeah, I've asked myself, why am I doing this? <laughs> why the hell am I doing this? Why have I gone in for this? Is it What is it? I guess for me, I love to see the changes. I do love to see the changes. That gives me delight. But also, I think I love deep connections with people. I like to have deep connections with people. 
And in psychotherapy, you get to do that. You get to relate at a very deep level with someone, you know, and you can't always do that in life. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, they're letting you into their, into their vulnerability. Yeah. But even in your life outside of therapy, I don't know if you experience this, you know, there are people you just can't go deep with and uh, they're not my kind of people. And so that's a bonus of psychotherapy that, you know, I get to have deep connections. Now on the flip side of that, what would you say is one of the most challenging parts about the work that you do? Yeah, I guess, and you'll hear this from other therapists as well, it's the clients that don't want to do the work. So they come for therapy, yet they're highly resistant or guarded and you can't push them. And, you, you know, you might, some, some inexperienced therapist might end up doing too much, they're working too hard. Do you know what I mean? To try and yeah. get them somewhere, but they're just going to get more and more guarded and defensive and never go anywhere. Not, you know, I like the therapists that are, I hate to say it, nicely neurotic, Brad, <laughs> who, could, <laughs> who can get on with the work and run with it. They really want to do the work. They either really pain in pain and suffering and just want out and therefore they'll do what it takes and they're open and receptive to feeling pain, feeling discomfort or going where they're frightened to go. But if someone's highly resistant, it just slows it down and makes it a hard task for both. So how do you deal with that then if your clients are are highly resistant? What, What kinds of things? Yeah, you have to really play it. This is where you have to be very clever. You sneakily get in there somehow. (laughs) <laughs> when their guard is down and they, right. they drop their guards, so you have to know when to go in and you have to keep them feeling safe and in a kind of element of control. So you're respecting that defense, whatever it is, you're, you're even sometimes strengthening that to make them feel safe before you then go. I suppose you could say it's building trust as well. You have to work with that defense very carefully. Yeah, for sure. You say that creative expression is the most powerful tool for well-being. Can you speak a little bit about that and why you believe that? Also, how do you incorporate creative expression into your work as a therapist? Yeah, I mean, they're both linked, really. I mean, you'll have heard of Carl Jung and you've heard of maybe you've heard of people like Winnicott, Donald Winnicott, play therapy. Yeah, he's not not as well known, but they talk about the true self and they talk about creative expression as being the true self. And, you know, when we really ourselves and we don't have to pretend to be someone else, we don't have to hide aspects of ourselves. We are spontaneous. We can express ourselves in the way that's authentic and moment by moment. And these are the things that I guess we aim for in therapy. I aim for in therapy and in art is that we are able to be ourselves fully and to express ourselves fully. So I'm really going by that theory that I really stand by, which is that the the true self, the true authentic self is both creative and spontaneous and able to express itself in that way. Right. Yeah. Now I found though, I mean, through many conversations with many different people as adults and speaking about art and whatnot, as adults, we lose that, um, say, childlike free will when it comes to art specifically we're so caught up and worried about how this is going to look or do i have the right tools or does this look like this or does this look like that and where as kids they just create just for the sake of creating and they just have fun with it and love it where adults it's a much bigger hurdle to overcome yeah it's like you're you're just thinking too much yeah when the thinking gets in the way it's like when i see adults doing art I see this sort of 
childlike regression. I love it. They regress, they go primal. You can see that there's something organic playing out. And that's the healing, I think, you know, even witnessing a pottery class the other day and seeing people playing with clay, actually not realizing that they're in this sort of like primal childlike creative state, which is healing themselves in that moment. It's beautiful. Mm. You have created Synchronicity Catalyst courses. Can you share a little bit about what that is and what the inspiration behind creating them was? Yeah. I mean, I have this thing about magic in life. I just love when these magical things happen, synchronicity, magical occurrences, things falling the way they should. You meet the person you need to meet. Something happens that, you know, you were hoping, but you know what I mean? I love all of that. And I guess I wanted to create a course that controlled that in the sense that it would rather than wait for it to happen or let it happen accidentally that you you actually put a focus on that and you open yourself up to that and you do the things that you need to do to be more receptive and to make these things happen more and so uh, it's me that loves miracles and magic in life and I guess I wanted to sort of create a course that optimized those experiences for people made those things happen and in the way to do that is to work with energy around you to be open and receptive and so I start by teaching synchronicity what it is how to work with it it's a practical course with lots of examples lots of storytelling and there's a is there even a part in there about money because I felt that money was always a barrier as well for people yeah. I mean, I'm not saying anything new here even for me and resisted by spiritual people sometimes and you know, and this sort of lack mindset and all of that gets in the way of the flow of synchronicity. So I put a a module in there on money as well. And then another module looking at how to work with your personal flow and then sort of consolidating all of that. So it's kind of based on my experiences in life and what I do and how I keep that energy flow. And Um, so this is all tied into your healing work and, and all of that, right? Yes. So, okay. so I was once a life alignment practitioner, which is a, a form of energy healing developed by Jeff Levin. And that was very much using energy in the body and finding the stuck issues in the body where they resided and, and using energy to heal that. So some of those things I've taken from life alignment and put into my course, some of those concepts of using, identifying the priority and clearing that block first, teaching people how to use intention properly, because it's not hope, it's a proper intention. Yeah, for sure. Exactly. And so, but also how to work with a priority a lot, you know, you know, you may want such and such, but actually you might need to clear this bizarre thing first in order to get that you know, or be open to a direction that you never thought you'd go into in order to get the end result of what you want. That's that's true beauty, being open to that and experiencing it's openness, that. openness, yeah. totally, keeping yep. yourself open and clear, yeah. Well, that, that just speaks to everyday occurrences too. I mean, just being open to whatever the day brings, it, it, it occurs in conversation, having an open mind, actively listening to people when they're talking, because you never know what you're going to learn. Your mind might be completely open by someone else's viewpoint. And you may think, holy shit, I never thought about this thing that way. That's a great or different way to look at things. That is really what my course does. It teaches people to be more like that on a consistent basis, because you never know whether someone's going to bring you something you needed to hear yeah. or, you know what I mean? And yeah. Just being, you know, even if you go out on a walk, you know, 
you don't know what you're going to encounter, but you stay open and be led and guided to different places, different things, something yeah. might come to you. It's it, working it, with archetypes, I call it in the course. Okay. Working with archetypes. Yeah. It, it's it's a hard thing to put into practice, but I think you can completely or I believe you can completely shift your world and your mindset yes. if you do remain open to whatever comes your way. Yes, I think so. And it's about cultivating a certain kind of energy and mindset. And that takes some work. I love quantum physics. There's a bit of quantum physics in there because I okay. love the idea that whatever you're feeling and experiencing in your life now is based on how you were operating prior. Yeah. And so, you know, say you're in a bad state right now, you might have been in a sort of negative dwelling on negativity kind of mindset previously, and now it's playing out. And yeah. so whatever you do now, you can be very powerful right now to create something positive by improving your energetic vibration now to have fantastic experiences in the next week or so. But that openness is key. I was talking with someone and they were talking about doing the the yes experiments where any opportunities that come your way, just say yes. Don't don't give it a second thought. Just say yes to them. Now, of course, this means keeping, um, we're talking about safe things like being invited to a networking event or being invited to this or being invited. Just say yes and do it for, try that for a week. Say yes to every opportunity that comes your way and see where it takes you. Yes, I agree. I mean, and that's it because the default thing is to come from fear and that, yeah. oh, no, I can't do that or, well, that's not possible or whatever. Yeah. And then you never move forward. That's right. You know, that's I would right. add gratitude to that. Yes. experiment. Yes. Yeah, gratitude. for sure. Yeah, mm. that's an important aspect of life too, though. We need to, I think, once we start expressing more gratitude for the things in our lives, you can drastically shift your mindset with that as well. Yeah, I mean, I did an experiment. You know, I'm always, I, I run these experiments on me before I inflict them on others. <laughs> <laughs> and, I love that know. word, inflict. <laughs> <laughs> so I was really, I was thinking, right, I'm having a hard time in in this area of my life. So I'm going to spend a whole Saturday of constant gratitude and I'm going to see what happens next. What happens? How does it influence the next part of my week, next day or week or whatever? Right. And so I did that. Every moment I remembered it, I would be gratitude for whatever warranted gratitude, but also just putting it out there as a mantra, putting it out there when I felt happy about something else, I'd add gratitude to it. So the energy was really, really worked on for the whole day as a piece of work. And I had a fantastic following week. The energy in the problem situation shifted. Yeah, I could see how that would work. I mean, it's positivity. You're, you know, you're, you're shifting everything in your life when you do that. Yeah, I, and I think it's it is the key. Yeah, and I were kind of like, you know, us psychotherapists were very anti-positive. What do you call it? positive reframing it's like oh you're avoiding the negative you're not looking at the <laughs> truth but at, and that's why we don't we you know we've missed out yeah. on this actually cultivating this other side which is yeah. so vital absolutely you create psycho spiritual art can you talk a little bit about that and what that is yeah i mean it's so funny i went to art school in 91 didn't really take it any further was actually quite what's the word disillusioned by it you know we had these visiting lecturers who quite frankly put me off art yeah. you know so it really interfered with my flow so I worked at the Tate Gallery I left it I trained psychotherapy and I've only come back to it in the last I would say seriously in the last two years okay I'd only done it ad hoc you know since art school really I'm not taking it seriously but because I'd gone through psychotherapy training since then 
it's completely different lease of life. It's like the art has come together finally and it couldn't before. Wow. Yeah. I mean, the ideas that I have to paint are just flowing and they're all, I call them sort of psychological. Sometimes they're spiritual. It's just like now it's flowing where it couldn't flow before. And it's almost like I needed to go through not just the psychotherapy training and, and career, but also the spiritual experiences that I've had for my art to actually flourish. It's all come together for me. That's very interesting that you had to go that path before you could completely and freely be creative and an artist. Yeah, I did. And I can look back and see how it just wouldn't work before. Huh. So you being an artist and you've been in and out of that art world, as you just mentioned, what set you originally on the path of creativity? Like how did your journey begin into the arts? When I was at school, highly dyslexic, not very good, to be quite honest, didn't really know what the hell was going on at school. Why are we at school? What are we doing? It was like bizarre, you know, but I was good at art. It was the one thing I was good at. You know, I could draw exactly what what I saw. I could, you know, it's just I was always getting A's and I just did well in art. And I guess that that was the only thing. But even prior to that, my mum's an artist. So okay. it must have, something must have been going on subliminally before that even, you know, right. the talent's there. But before that, you know, my mum would do all sorts of art projects with me and my sister and, you know, and I have memories of creative things like, you know, for me, when you think about when did your creativity start, the immediate memory is digging up my back garden. We had this very old Victorian house in Cambridge and there were all sorts of goodies in the garden, like, you know, bits of ceramics and porcelain from the Victorian times. And I remember digging up these little blue, bright blue bottles, which were medicine, Victorian medicine bottles. And it was like finding gold. When you talked about, you know, when you're doing your photography and the yeah. picture emerges from nowhere. Yeah. Oh, yeah. my God. For me, that's where it's come from. That urge, that creative experience is amazing. It is that, honestly, that for me, as a photographer, that is just incredible magic. That is magic to me. When I was in the darkroom, obviously, I'm not shooting on film anymore. But when I was, to see those images that I created with my camera come to life, like jump off the paper as you put it through the chemical bath, and it is just so powerful. There's no feeling like that. And then you add in the smells of the darkroom and the atmosphere, and it is just so incredibly powerful i love it yeah that's the only way i can describe it is that feeling that it's yeah it exactly and it's funny you mentioned that so this is a great segue into my next question is as a creative yourself do you think that we are all born with an innate creativity like this is something i often wonder and think about when it comes to artists athletes musicians are people just born with a natural ability or is it something that we learn practice and hone and eventually become artistic i mean you you think about the greats in the art world or athletes some people it just seems like they're born with a natural ability to play an instrument paint draw compose and for the most part, I'm of the mind that it has to be worked at. But I think there are certain people in the world that are born with an exceptional skill level, which, I mean, they're far and few between, let's call it the 10% of the 100% out there. Do you think that anyone can be taught and learn how to become an artist or musician or athlete to a certain degree? Or And then is it possible, do you think, in your opinion, to reach that pinnacle of those 10%? for for people that that aren't born with that. I'm curious what your thoughts are. Mm, 
I mean, I I think you just said something there about skill set. That ten percent, they just have this skill set. Yeah that they have, that they're just good at those skills. But everybody has the innate creativity within them, I believe. And whatever you create, whether it's beautiful or not, is a creation and it's worthy in itself just for that. Anyone can make music. Anyone can make art. In fact, I see the culture these days that, I mean, you can joke about this, you know, we can get away with any kind of art and music these days, you know, bizarre. And that's what I mean. Anything is worthy. And back in the day, there used to be, a kind of branch of art called naive art okay because they didn't really paint with perspective and reality and it was like flat and it was flat house with a you know edge to it or whatever you'd have to look at some but you know that's what i mean everything is creative everything is valid it's something that's come out of you it's still innate in everyone yeah but do you think that that we can reach that pinnacle that the greats like beethoven and salvador dali and and these people like the beat like John Lennon and his songwriting abilities. Do you think that people who aren't born say with that exceptional skill level will say can ever reach that pinnacle? I think they can reach that pinnacle if they find their particular unique vehicle of getting there. They can, you know what I mean? It might not come out that way, but if they follow their heart and follow what feels organically right and authentic to them, they can be just as successful in their way, in their version. Right. Yeah, well, I mean, there are many, many forms of creativity, cooking, accounting, like there's so many different forms of creativity in this world. It breaks my heart sometimes when I hear people say, I don't have a creative bone in my body. I can't Me do too. this. I can't do that. It's like, yes, you can. Yeah, same. It, and it's I sad. Yeah, I say that all the time. People say, oh, no, I can't pay. I can't draw. No, that's not true. Whatever you create is beautiful. Yeah, and and yeah, I want people to see the beauty in whatever they create. It's yeah. you know, especially young people. I feel for young people. You know, I feel like they just need to get out of their heads and do creative stuff, and then feel the result of just being organically themselves. That's yeah. so healing, for sure. Mm. So, speaking of healing, you are an energy healer. How did you discover you had the gifts of being an energy healer? Yeah, this is a complicated one, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say that I was born with a gift like a psychic, you know, like a psychic person who could see spirits and hear spirits connect with them and didn't understand it and all of that. It's not the same. For me, I've always been interested in spiritual stuff. I've always been tuned in that there's always been that. But I've learned from great spiritual people. I've gone on retreats. I've gone on meditation. I've learned life alignment. That's one of them. But for me, it's really just going with what I'm fascinated by. And I've learned on the way that some of the skills I can utilize myself. I mean, there are experiences that I can't explain. Like I, I remember I was in India and I was had done a lot of meditation over a long period. I think it was about a month. It was a very long one. I was trapped there by a volcano, Brad. Oh, so I had, to, I had to do more than I would normally do. <laughs> Let's put it that way. And anyway, it was a lot of meditation, a lot of learning going on. And I remember I started going through a phase where I was sort of when I was seeing faces when I closed my eyes, faces would keep coming up, faces and faces and faces keep popping up. Some were tortured, some were happy. There were all various kinds of faces. And I couldn't, we had these meetings and I went to our teacher. I said, well, what is this? And they were like, oh, no, you don't want to invite that. Get rid of it and taught me how to close it off. But it was basically an openness to spirits coming to me. I'd say there's some ability there, but I never would say it's a gift that I now work with. I've learned a lot of these things through my own spiritual growth. That's it. You know? Yeah. 
So when did you decide to start using the healing energy to help people? I've used it in different phases during my life. There was a phase where I was quite actively teaching meditation and transferring a kind of energy to the crown chakra. And that would be through me, my hands onto the crown and transferring it through me. I used to do that for a while. Uh, I used to do life alignment healing and had clients in that field for a while. Very much like acupuncture, you know, learn the acupuncture points and you use a pendulum to work out what the priority body points were and what the priority psychological and emotional issues. And then you go, go about clearing it. So I used to do these things at different times in my life, but that, you know, they're just phases that I've been through. And I guess I share elements of it in my course. And I've, you know, it's just been different stages for me, really. I've also heard many people say that we as humans have all the tools we need within us to help in healing ourselves. Is this something you subscribe to or believe in? I think this is the ethos behind psychotherapy as well. You know, that we are our best teacher. We know ourselves the best. We just need to bring that out of us. You know, that innate healing within us. So in psychotherapy, that's what we're aiming for. You know, right. we're aiming for people to be able to heal themselves. We're only facilitating and guiding that, you know, helping okay. them see the insight, the self-awareness, the reflection, make different decisions and so on giving them the tools, filling their tool belt or their toolbox so that they can continue on doing the work. Because I mean, let's be honest, self-work is, is continual. It doesn't stop once you finish your therapy sessions. You have to continue to do the work in life and continue to work on yourself always. We're, we're a work in progress continually. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And those that say that they're done and they've had enough therapy always concern me. <laughs> but yeah, they're like, oh, I'm thinking, no, 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 there's still more because it's life changes. There's always yeah. things going on for us. But in psychotherapy, you get to a stage, you know, there's a question people ask, how do I know I'm ready to stop? I've, I, you know, I'm, I've had enough, whatever. And you start to be, you, like you say, you've got the strategies and tools, start to embed them. You, you know, you're starting to use them on, on your own, outside in life. You internalize therapy. You sometimes internalize the therapist. You know, you might be saying to yourself in a difficult situation, or oh, what might we talk about in therapy here? Or what might Nisha say? And you've taken it into your life already. And, you, and then you notice that you're no longer in the therapy talking about those problems so much anymore. And in fact, there's less to talk about. And you're ready, you know, yeah. those issues haven't come up anymore. So you're good to go for now, but you're right. It's an ongoing journey. Yeah, for sure. Mm. Anisha, what was a turning point in your life and how did it affect you? I would say returning to art. Okay. It's very, very cathartic for me, returning to art, having left it so young, being the only thing that I was really good at. And returning to it in the sort of second half of my life has been very cathartic. And I think for me, it's been my therapy. Yeah. I see my art as therapy. Sometimes I create art, Brad, and I look at it, I think, oh, my God, what the hell's that that's come out of me? <laughs> and, you know, I see something that's, like, quite tortured. I'm like, oh, my God, was that really inside me? You know, quite shocking to see what comes out sometimes, you know? <laughs> yeah. So returning to art has been the best thing that's ever happened to me. I left it for so long, and when I returned to it, it's flowed. It's given me healing. It's been my therapy. It's It's in incredibly therapeutic yeah it's it's the main thing for me it is art is incredibly therapeutic whether it be music painting photography for me obviously photography and i had stopped shooting for quite a while it was roughly about two years and just recently i would say about a month and a half ago now i went out for the first time in over mm. two years with my camera for me just for me not to create 
art with the intent of selling, no money motivation behind it, nothing, just for the pure love of being out and creating. And I took my camera, I went, uh, drove about 40 minutes north of the city, and I went into a, a forest and just walked around with my camera and just was in nature and just let it all soak in and just walked around snapping pictures. It was a beautiful experience. You know, that synchronicity, you saying that, because that's the stage I'm going through at the moment. So interesting you bring that up. You know, I've just decided to, to do my art for me. Before that, I was thinking, trying to make it into a business, sell it, yeah. make it into a career. And and I just got to the point very, very, even in the last week where I thought, no, I'm just going to create the art for me. That yeah. is it. Yeah. You know, even as far as saying, I'm going to put on my website, not for sale. <laughs> <laughs> But such beauty comes through, I think, when you resolve to that in your mind that this is just for me. And I think I found, too, when I was creating, when I was creating my art and, and shooting sessions for pay, I found it very therapeutic and helpful for the creative process in my work to mm. be able to step outside that and create just for me, have that downtime to just take my camera, fuck off somewhere and go shoot just for me. Mm. without that intent. And I found that that was very helpful in terms of if I was feeling stifled creatively when I was doing a shoot or something after the shoot, obviously I would just take some time and just go shoot for me. And then that would also help instill or reinvigorate that creativity within me for my next sessions. And I think that's yeah. an important part so that we don't get stagnant creatively. Yeah. I mean, make it's the time. so apt. Oh my God. It's so apt for me at the moment. You know, like I was thinking all these people are painting for Christmas markets, Brad. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't want to paint a bloody bird and, <laughs> and, and a, you know, a reef and God knows what, you know, yeah. I want to paint a werewolf or something. <laughs> Something completely different from Christmas. Yeah. yeah, it is healing for sure. Art is incredibly healing. Yes, any creative, like you say, photography, anything, music, yeah. anything. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Nisha, what would you say is one of the most important things you've learned in your life? And what was your life like before learning it? And what was your life like after you learned it? Oh, God, I hate to say this, but it's psychotherapy. I've always played down being a psychotherapist. I'm slightly embarrassed about being a psychotherapist, really? if I'm honest, because I don't want to be the stereotypical one that I don't like. Do you know what I mean? But I have the to be ones, honest. The ones you spoke about earlier. Yeah. <laughs> so I kind of hide it. But actually, I can't hide it because, you know, it's the, it's the thing that sort of got me through life. And, you know, I know I accidentally fell into the training, but I didn't really know myself before I started training and became a psychotherapist. I really don't know how I'm operated with life. I, I can only describe myself as living blindly before that. It's so weird when you go into psychotherapy. I mean, this is me. I can't say for everyone. I just didn't really know who I was clearly at all before psychotherapy. So it has been super, super important. It hasn't been easy. I mean, there's, a, there's a, you know, the stories of people in therapy training going nuts is true. We do, we lose it. We have to face the shit and people having breakdowns and having to, you know, going through crises and feeling suicidal and all these things happen when you're going through psychotherapy training because you have to face the shit. So I think I have to be honest and say it's that even though it's part of me wants to hide the whole area of psychotherapy, you know, I have this urge to want to hide it, but actually I can't really. It's part of who you are. Yeah, if I'm honest. Uh that's a huge realization though. Huge. It is. And it's something that holds a lot of shame as well. But at the same time, it's, you know, what are you doing here by diminishing it? You know? Yeah. That's another thing, you know, 
we come here, every, I, I'm of the belief that we all are given gifts that we're here with. And I often think, as of late anyways, who are we to deny those gifts of the world? We were given these gifts to be shared with the world. So who the hell are we to deny them? We need mm -hmm. to share them. We need to not hide them. We need to share them with the world. Yes, that's it, you see. That, that's a huge thing. That's a yeah. huge thing. I, I think I've fought against it for a while. So, yeah, that's a big thing to be, for me to say on, a, on an interview like this even. You know? Yeah. Well, yeah. good for you for acknowledging it and opening up to it. Thank you. You should include pride in that. You should be very proud. That's not there yet. Yeah. I'm edging towards it. I'm hearing myself say it. <laughs> <laughs> what is an unexpected blessing or occurrence in your life that you're grateful for? Oh God, I'd have to say straight away, that's my son. My son, I have just the one son and yeah, he's been an absolute blessing. I never planned to have children. You know, it, it wasn't a planned pregnancy, but it was such a blessing. It was a difficult pregnancy, don't get me wrong, very difficult, but just being a mother and I would say that he's forced me to learn how to really connect deeply with another human being. That's why he's such a gift. I think I was very much escaping any kind of deep relationship before that but when you've got you know a son you can't run away yeah and it forces you to be intimate in a way you've never been before intimate you know what i mean by intimate yeah. deep relating yeah. whereas i think i've kind of escaped that in my relationships and only gone to a certain level if i'm honest so i think he has forced me to really know what a real relationship is you can't run away. You've got to deal with the crap when it comes up. You know, you have an argument and you've got to make it work later. You can't yeah. just end it. You know what I mean? That yeah, you can't, you can't walk away from that relationship. Exactly. <laughs> and I know it sounds like, it sounds like a simple thing, but for me, that was a huge thing. And I think I've always had this existential sort of crisis in me as well. You know, I've always found periods of low times, you know, in life, you know, like many of us do. And I do wonder if my son hadn't come along whether I'd still be around wow. do you know what I mean I know it's a huge thing that's why he's as soon as you ask that he's number one gift. that's massive oh yeah who in your life has had the biggest impact on you and why no particular person I would just say my parents I mean being Buddhist being mixed relationship my mother's Thai dad's English you know it, it's the unusualness of that you know yeah I mean you know I had a squirrel infestation and what parents would come round and do some chanting Buddhist chanting <laughs> to try and get them out <laughs> Oh I mean, my did your parents do that? I don't. I've never met no. any parents that do that. That is wild. Did it work? No. But <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, no, I'm being cruel. They did go very quiet for five days where I thought they'd left, but the little, <laughs> little fuckers came back. Excuse my language. No, that's okay. <laughs> well, the, the effort on your parents' part was there, the care was there. <laughs> <laughs> but it's that weird, wacky sort of spiritual side where, I mean, there's some seriousness because I did not want to get the exterminators in and have all these deaths on my hand. I am yeah. Buddhist after all. And I, I didn't want these deaths. On, I'm sorry, that may sound funny to some people, but I didn't want all these traps laid and all these 
animals getting their yeah. necks broken and God knows what. And on my command, you know. And so I was in angst, in pain, in tears, telling my parents this. And my dad devised this special chanting that was from the animal kingdom, relates to the animal kingdom, calling the devas down that would speak to the animals and tell them to go and bless him. <laughs> I love him for that. Absolutely. And we all got together as a family, my mother, me, my son, to try and get the squirrels out without having to kill them. Beautiful. Well, there's family time, if nothing else, togetherness. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Nisha, what does the word empowerment mean to you? I mean, you know, this is the crux of psychotherapy. It's the crux of synchronicity courses I run. It's the, it's, it's the creativity that you and I have discussed, that the arts that empowers. Every, you know, everything I do is about empowering. And, I, and it comes from, you know, a place where I've really struggled as a child of mixed race, not doing well in education, you know, just struggling in general. And I guess that, you know, it's very important for me to help people move through any stuckness and obstacle in life because life is difficult. I mean, I don't want to make it all bad because there's some nice bits, but it's tricky and it's up and down and it's hard to negotiate. And so empowerment is just, is the medicine. Beautiful. I love that. Mm. What is something surprising that you've learned about yourself in the last year? I would say how resilient I am. And again, that comes with a little bit of embarrassment because I've never really, you know, I've, I'm a single mom. I've gone through a lot of difficulties I've, and I've, I've always succeeded and I've, I've always felt the struggle, but I've always succeeded nevertheless. And I guess I've missed out on acknowledging the success side of that and just moved through it in terms of overcoming difficulties. But actually, when I look at what I've overcome, and I've heard it from my son, I've heard it from my mother, my sister, how resilient I am, how strong I'm told I am, how I'm able to pick myself up after serious knocks, and how I'm able to find something very quickly when there's nothing to be found, you know? I, yeah. I don't know. I just, I'm I'm sort of trying to digest that more and more, that yeah, I've really worked hard in life, and I've worked my way up. And that's taken a lot of resilience that I kind of haven't really acknowledged enough yet. You know, you'll get there. You'll mm. get there. It's part of your journey. You'll get there. Yeah, still work in progress. Yeah, as we all are, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, we're gonna jump into a little rapid fire section here. So the next grouping of questions will just be one, two, three, forward answer type thing. Okay. Okay. What is your biggest pet peeve? Public transport. Calm down. <laughs> Get away from me. Don't come near me. Get a mask on. Please. Too much, too much, too many people in closed spaces. Yeah. Don't talk to me. I've talked enough today. I don't yeah. want to talk to anyone. <laughs> what is your biggest fear? This is interesting because I don't go into fear anymore. Okay. I don't entertain fear anymore. It's not that I don't have any, but I literally off the top of my head would struggle to find something because I've worked so hard to not go there. Okay. Mm. What's your favorite stress reducing activity? Oh, well, I like a hot bath and I like to read a nice sort of spiritual book or some kind or abundance book or whatever, or chakra clearing in the bath, if I'm honest. Beautiful. If you came with a warning label, what would yours say? Be ready for the truth. How would you describe yourself in one word? Multifaceted. If you could teach the world one thing, what would it be? Empathy for self and others. What is your favorite self-care practice? Connection walks, connecting with the universe on walks. That concludes our rapid fire section. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. Oh. What challenge in your life has shaped you the most? 
being a woman. Wow. I have <laughs> I never, I have never heard that answer. That is amazing. Okay. Being a woman. I mean, it's not easy being a woman physically, mentally, psychologically in this world, spiritually as well. I mean, yeah. I mean, there's so many layers to that. Holy I do shit. think it's easier to be a man. And I, and I, and I know that's not completely true, obviously. But I, yeah, I would say being a woman and that's been a work in progress. That's been a journey for me. What a powerful answer. Holy shit. I knew that was throw you. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was throw you. I love, that's a great answer. I love it. I can't speak to that because I have no idea. So I think that's, if nothing else, that is incredibly powerful. Mm, Thank you and for it sharing comes that. from the heart. It really is. It's so true. Straight out, that's my answer. Being a woman has been the biggest challenge. I love it. Mm. What is one lesson that your career has taught you that you think everyone should learn at some point in their life? Yeah, I would say that find a way to live your life that isn't based on work. You know, it's not work. It's yeah. not all about work. In the last two years, what new belief, behavior, or habit has most improved your life? Yeah, this is what's what I'm working on currently now because it works, and that is cultivating joy. I used to hate the word joy and bliss and heart and love and all that. And I'd be like, oh, God, get away. You know, I'd be really rejecting it. But actually, yeah, as I said earlier, you know, our psychotherapists have been trained to sort of not go down the joy path but stay with the pain. But actually... We're neglecting the other half, the other side, which is, is there's nothing wrong with cultivating joy and, and cultivating that that positive vibration. Well, joy is a must in life. We're only here for a short time. So we need to be happy while we're here on this planet as much as we possibly can. It's not and, always it, easy, mm. but again, it's something that we need to work on. And it makes our experiences so much better. This is the thing. It shifts everything. Well, think about the ripple effect that creates, right? When we're happy, the people around us are happy and so on and so on. And so it's, and it's really, I mean, you think about it, it's when we're in joy, it doesn't take much to spread that. It doesn't cost you anything to spread that, to share that with other people. And again, look at the ripple effect that has. Yeah. I mean, you know, there are moments when you're just happy for no reason, right? Yeah, it's, so, it's that, that's I believe that's us. That's really yeah. us inside. When you're happy for no reason, that's you being naturally you. Yeah, for sure. Mm. If you had the opportunity to sit down and have a one-hour conversation with one woman, any woman in the world, who would it be and why? This is difficult, this one. This is a really difficult one. And the only person, and it doesn't even mean to, is not that significantly important. But right now, because I'm into art, it will probably be an art person. And okay. the person that's most aligned with me, I guess, is someone called Cindy Sherman. She's not, um, she's quite well known, Cindy Sherman. But what she does is she sort of, she creates photographic, you might be interested in this, Brad. Okay. She creates self-portraits of herself photographically, but every photograph is, every self-portrait is a different character. It's a stereotype. It's a different context. She constructs a new identity in each one. I just find that fascinating because my work is all about self and identity, and I love that. I would love that. That sounds very intriguing. Oh, you and must check I would her love out. to check her work oh, out. Brad, you must check out Cindy I will. Sherman. I will, definitely. Nisha, if you could go back and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that piece of advice be? I think I would say do what you love and be yourself fully. 
because I think there's so many inhibitions growing up and then so many obstacles to being ourselves you know and I didn't go down I didn't follow the art even though that was my natural gift and maybe I should have so I, I would say yeah do what you love there's nothing wrong with that and be yourself be you fully again I think that speaks to the bit about joy and I mean again we're only here for a short time and you think about all the people who go through life miserable at the mm. work they do at their jobs and what that's and they're just existing. To me, that is so sad. I so wish that more people could find what they love in life and do that. Because you think about, again, speaking about the ripple effect and how much more beautiful would this world be if more people walked around in constant joy and doing the things that they love to do, doing the things that make them happy. Yes, exactly. The pain of doing something you're not happy in and you don't want to do and then getting up and dreading that each day yeah. and going in and doing, that's toxic. It is. I went through it. I, I was there. And, Me you too. Know, you're, you're pissing away those five days of the week to live for two days. It's horrible. Yes. It's a horrible way to live. Yeah, that's what I mean. I can't bear that. And I, and yeah. again, that's what, all I, that's what I'm about. And it sounds like that's what you're about as well, yeah. you know? Just that that's not you. That's not authentic living. That's wrong. No. You're making no. yourself ill. That's right. That's right. Lastly, Nisha, if you were to deliver your last 30 second speech to the world, your corner of the world, your tribe, your people, what would that last 30 seconds sound like? What words of wisdom would you impart? Oh my God. I've got two reactions to that. One reaction. <laughs> yeah. One reaction is a bit naughty and that is to go silent and get everybody to tune in. Yeah. And yeah, and to focus on positivity and love or something, something like that, which sounds very hippie. But anyway, that's the first reaction. Or there's a second option, I guess, which is to, you know, to, to say that we all share this common issue of how to live life and to somehow come together on that. Yeah. Wonderful. And that's it, really. I mean, something simplistic is, is yeah. really what, you know, what I would emphasize. Beautiful. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with me today. This was an incredibly thought provoking and inspiring conversation, Nisha. I really, truly appreciate your time. And thank you for shining your bright, beautiful light out into the world and being the beautiful soul that you are and sharing your journey with me here today. It's been an absolute wonderful pleasure chatting with you today thank you so much thank you so much brad and thank you for having me and and, and i've enjoyed laughing with you <laughs> i have and i've enjoyed connecting with you so thank you so much it's been lovely <laughs> my pleasure once again my name is brad walsh host of your empowerography podcast today my guest has been nisha Denison. she is a licensed psychotherapist an artist an energy healer and a meditation teacher thank you so much nisha i hope you have an amazing rest of the day yeah you too brad lots of love Thank you very much for listening to this podcast. If you haven't yet, please be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share with all your friends. You can find me at visuphoria.ca, follow me on Instagram at Empowerography Podcast, and on Facebook at Empowerography. Please join me next time for another inspirational story from yet another amazing woman.